Hello and welcome to my weekly podcast interview of In the House Seats with me, your host, Craig Bartley. This is where every Sunday we talk about all stuff regarding theatre, film, television and the ups and downs while training for the performing arts industry. Who knows, some things could even relate to your experiences as a theatre wannabe or participant. Or if you are a parent or guardian of a future performer, it may help you to understand about training and the entertainment industry from a different perspective and someone else's point of view. I will be speaking to professional performers, choreographers, adjudicators and industry leaders to find out more about them and their transitions and journeys from learning their crafts to the professionals that they are today. So for the next 30 minutes, all you need to do is sit back, relax, enjoy and listen with us. Today in the house seats, we have West End and Canadian leading lady and actress, Nicola Dornbrook. Hello, Nicola. Hello from Canada. It's great to have you with me today in the house seats. And I'm so excited to know more about you and your career. So to begin with, tell us how it all started. Where are you from originally? And a little bit about your background and childhood growing up. I'm from Cheshire originally, from a little place called Cheadle Hume. I don't know whether you remember the Victoria Wood sketch with Kitty. She's from Cheadle. Well, basically, that's me. And I was born into quite a big family, two brothers and a sister and a Labrador. And my mum ran a youth theatre company and my dad was a tenor. He got into the doily cart, but suddenly he had lots of children and he couldn't afford to stay. So he didn't go. It's so sad. But my mum was a professional pianist and then she started this youth theatre company. And so from the age of like zero, I was hearing music. She was actually conducting Ilanthe when she was pregnant with me. So yeah, born into music and remember at the age of three, watching her direct and just being absolutely captivated by the stage and wanting to get on there. A little bit annoying. Finally got an audition. And just couldn't think of anything else to do. That's what I I loved. And I was dancing all the time and singing and, you know, taking tap and all that kind of stuff. Like and what was her school called? It was Youth Unlimited Theatre Group. It started off as East Cheshire's Youth Operatic Society and then became Youth Unlimited. And we were asked to sing on various things. Like we did the Princess Trust. We did Whack-A-Day with Timmy Mallet. And then one day we were asked to do the One Voice Choir for Barry Manilow when it came yeah. to Manchester. We did that. I was 10, I think, at the time. And just always surrounded by it and always doing musicals in my spare time. So at school, I did music and drama and everything, but I, I was like, okay, I'm doing so much of that stuff. I'm going to take business studies. I'm going to take history. I'm going to take all the other subjects because I'm steeped in the other things. And so, yeah, I just did a normal education and started, I started doing commercials and things when I was about 11 or 12. At the age of 14, you performed with The Who's Roger Daughtry in a production of The Little Match Girl. What was this like to work along an icon at such a young age? It was an amazing time for me, actually. First of all, getting the role was crazy because I was up against all of the Sylvia Young School and there's this little 
chick from Cheadle Hume coming into the room and nailing the role. I couldn't believe it. And they were all like, who's she? Whatever. But we had to rehearse for a month. And I think that was the best bit of it, really. The filming took a, a week, but the rehearsals were so magical for me. And Roger Daltrey was an absolute a gentleman. He was really lovely to work with, very passionate about the piece. Twiggy was warm, friendly, generous. It was just a really lovely time. And my mum was my official chaperone. So we had this crazy month in London just seeing all the shows and it was just so magical like so Fantastic. young I knew that's what I wanted to do so after this you went off to train vocationally was this near home or did you go further afield well I trained all the way through my childhood in dance and mainly dance and was doing lots of musicals amateur dramatics I did like from the age of 10 to 18 I think I did like 28 musicals or something stupid like that And then I got into Manchester Capital Theatre at the Polytechnic where Julie Walters went and it was a very beautiful theatre course. And I started there doing a BA Honours. In my first three months, I got cast in a pantomime and I was like, oh, well, I'd love to, you know, I've waited all my life to do a professional stage. Where where was the panto? In Tunbridge Wells. Oh, at the Assembly Halls. Yes. (laughs) I know it well. And it was going to be with Spike Milligan. And, and I asked for a day off one day at the end of term and one day at the beginning of the term. And they said, no, you can't have it. It's not good for your career to do a pantomime. So I said, OK, I'm going to take a year off. <laughs> <laughs> and they, they thought I was an absolute lunatic. So I went and did the panto. Spike Milligan, unfortunately, didn't play. He was ill at the time. So Michael Knowles took over. And then I finished the pantomime and then I got cast in the UK tour of chess and then I got into the sound of music after that the will we touch on those in a second Now, obviously, because of your ability to perform in musical theatre, you've had the most phenomenal career path and are so well known in London and on the global stages too. Just a few of your credits are in Mamma Mia, Billy Elliot, Bend It Like Beckham, Anne of Green Gables, Cromborg, La Belle Sueur, Bitter Girl, Fame, Aspects of Love, Taboo, The Sound of Music, and that is just a few, as I will get through some more as we go along the way. Do you have a favourite out of those mentioned? I adored doing Mamma Mia. I really loved playing Rosie. It was over in Canada, of course, and I just love making people laugh and being a bit of a prat on stage. It's just, for me, that's perfection. Fantastic. <laughs> and I was covered Donna as well, and I, did, I went on this crazy week of going on for her, and it was like a roller coaster. It's... Brilliant, a great part to play, that's for sure. Now, one of the titles that I mentioned earlier was the London production of Taboo, the Boy George musical that ran at the Venue Theatre in Leicester Square. Before you were cast in this, did you know much about the new romantics? Just from parties, you know, dancing to that kind of music. I didn't really, I wasn't a teenager, I was just before, so I wasn't really engrossed in it and dressing up like it I was more like just dancing to the music or or hearing the music as a kid 
so to be introduced to Lee Bowery and everything and, and then putting the dots together, that was just a fantastic show. So guttural and just, ugh, just yeah. loved it. Because I remember seeing it because I went to see a couple of friends of mine in it, Michelle Hooper and Drew Jameson. Yeah, they see, I took over it. from Michelle. That's, that's right. That's, and uh, I, I did Grease yeah. with them. <laughs> and so it's like, Fantastic. you know, we go, uh, we go back a long way together. Any castings that you have ever been to and come out of the audition room and thought, what the hell was that about? Usually because of me. I did one recently. I think it was my last audition before COVID. And I had to travel. Oh my God, it's so embarrassing. I had to travel to Toronto from Montreal to do do the audition. So I packed a little suitcase and everything and stayed overnight because it was quite early. Opened my suitcase and I packed two different shoes, the wrong trousers. (laughs) I'd printed my CV, but I couldn't find it. Got to the audition and I was like, I can do this. I can wear two different shoes and they're not going to, they were the same style. They were just different color or something. (laughs) One I glitter on it. I can do this. I can do this. Elton John can do this. I can do this. And did the audition, had the wrong CV, didn't have it wasn't updated at all. The computer had messed up my music. The accompaniment was one bar delayed in three <laughs> bars of music. So it kept on going out of sync. And oh my goodness. And then I thought, okay, well, it's all right. It is what it is. I've done it. And as I, I was, you know, chatty, chatty, and just, just leaving the room. And just as I got to the door, they said, we've just got one question. Your shoes. What <laughs> is that on purpose? <laughs> I was like, oh no! <laughs> Even the shoes. Oh, I it was just, it. and that's my last audition before COVID. That's did you, my memory did you get of my it? career. Did I get it? <laughs> I don't think. I don't think I got that one. No. Great. But they'll remember you by your shoes. <laughs> Talking about getting noticed. Now, you got great critical acclaim (laughs) when you played the role of Lola in Barry Manilow's Copacabana in London's West End at the Prince of Wales Theatre. This must have been a very exciting time in your life because of your age. You were quite young when you played this part. How was it working with Barry for a first West End role? Working with Barry was beautiful. He was a very, very lovely guy, man. He, He just, for a person who was so famous, he was just so shy and understated and didn't know how to start. Oh, God, it was just so lovely and generous with his musicality as well. He would really let you improv stuff and play around with his music. I just, ah, just beautiful. Loved and it. you were great in the role to originate that character, that's for sure. One critic said, I was so young that I put my age in the programme. I thought that was funny. <laughs> <laughs> your early career began in London, do you think that theatre and the whole industry has changed much? Oh my goodness, yes. I mean, the music uh, itself is just, uh, 
I love this this uh, pop style. It was always my style when I was, you know, when I was younger. It was always I always liked the pop end of musicals, and there weren't that many back in the day. But now it's just oh, the voices are they're just out of this world. I love listening to the. This, like the waitress and oh, I just love the nuance of the pop sound I think it's fantastic mm, it's lovely yeah away from that that, that big sort of musical theatre sort of you know more pop side that's why I love Taboo I love that and the way Drew sang his stuff and the, the way Ewan sang Mother and oh god it's just beautiful yeah love yeah. that what do you think of social current trends with the likes of Instagram and so forth to bring in people into parts? Well, I've not really witnessed this because I've not been in England since like 2007. So I think I haven't been privy to that wave of, I'm guessing you're talking about people from Instagram being cast in Chicago. Is that what's happening? Yeah, it seems like that, really... yeah. Uh, people have to have so many followers now on social media to yeah, actually be scary. known. And and do you think that's worth worth it for a job? I, I think it's it's dangerous territory, isn't it? That I, I do have friends who really concentrate on their profile and concentrate on how many hits they get and how many likes they get. And it, it's starting to affect if you're going to be even seen for an audition. That's the scary thing. I don't know whether it's just a, a mode. Maybe it's just a fashion thing and it's going to dissipate slightly. I don't know. It's a tough one, isn't it? Oh, it's... I mean, I don't really go down that road because I put far too many pictures of what I'm eating and what I'm drawing on my Instagram. There's nothing. There's not a lot to do with my theatre and then I suddenly see other people doing it I'm like oh I better put a picture of me in character on there it's more of a a knee-jerk reaction rather than being dedicated in getting that kind of profile out there and it's all about the youngins absolutely have you seen those two guys on the internet who go and look at old songs like they were listening to Phil Collins in the air and they're introducing yeah they're introducing these songs that we we all know like the back of our hand but of course we're getting outdated. We're, we're old now. And it's like, it's kind of, it's a bit revealing, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> we're yeah. Like, yeah, of course it has a drum beat there. But, you know, that they have to be, the, the young ones have to be introduced somehow. And if it's going to take just someone with lots of likes, at least they're yeah. going to go to the theatre and that is going to knock on to be a good thing for us. Now, you have been seen in many television and feature films, such as Kevin Klein's film De Lovely, Sweeney Todd for Tim Burton, Being Human for Muse Entertainment, and you were even a finalist in season three of the UK's X Factor. How did you find the filming experience? Uh, of which one in particular? Anyone you'd like. Well, what was it like working um, with Sweeney Todd and Tim Burton? Well, that was an interesting one. Because I did all the rehearsals, I did all the fittings, and I did all the things. And then Johnny Depp, his daughter, stood on a nail and she got E. coli. And they had to cancel filming for a month or two months. I got booked three times and then never ended up doing it. Oh, no. (laughs) 
but there, yeah, it was so weird because then I went back to Cirque. I got cast in Saltimbanco on the arena tour. So I, I left and, and they filmed like the next week, but um, still did all the groundwork. I love filming. I think it's exciting. It's really exciting. The catering is ridiculous, but it's <laughs> slightly terrifying as well. How were you filming The Unconventionals? How was it filming? We had a crack, actually. We, were, we worked very well as a group, for, uh, like, especially with Drew. He's, he's just Comedy Central. And we did a lot of just stupidity filming for the offcuts, you know, like the X Factor. X, what do they call it? Extra the factor. Extra we did loads factor, of goofing yeah. around. Yeah, we did loads, but they didn't show any of it. So it was like we were kind of fighting a losing battle. And it's um, such a shame because I think that that could have actually carried on and it had legs to carry on as a group. Oh, we had such a ball, but then it got very stressful very quickly. So I think with those reality things, you do all the auditions and everything, and that's super exciting. But as soon as you get into that house and as soon as you're doing the weekly things oh and having to learn that information very, very quickly, that becomes like the crystallization and the crunch because there were six of us doing six-part harmony that wasn't written down or anywhere. We just like, Drew's making it up in his head and that's fine for before the 10-week, before the live thing. But when you've just got a week to do that, oh, that was like, oh, here we go. But we, we worked really well together and it was fun, really exciting and fun. But I wouldn't want to do it as an individual. I think it's, I don't know how the people just stand there. I was, there was safety in numbers as far as I was concerned. <laughs> I'm just hiding it back. Like, don't look at me. Please don't look at me. <laughs> Changing the subject now from work, what have you been up to in lockdown? And have you learned any new skills or taken up a new hobby? Oh, yes, I have. I had literally just packed my car to go on tour. So I unpacked my car. I took a intensive French course for six weeks. That had the right title. It was very intense. I got an A minus, but I can't remember any of it. <laughs> I have been given for my birthday, I was given a, an Apple pencil and I've been going crazy on my iPad Pro doing pictures and drawings. I just, oh my God, I really enjoy it. I also, I, I'm an artisan. I make uh, stained glass light catches and things. So I have my own workshop, glass workshop downstairs in the basement. Love doing that. I've been designing for that. And I've, I've created a cabaret for the Siegel Centre in Montreal. It's a, a beautiful theatre in Montreal, English speaking, for the Jewish community. And we've been doing cabaret, not cabaret the show, but we've been, I've been doing a thing, I like to call it the Broadway baby. It's just 50 minutes. It's very biographical. And we've been performing it. We did it on a lake last week, on a dock of a lake and had like 50 boats listening. I was just so magical. And yeah, that's taken most of my time. And it's just so nice to be performing again. so great having you here with me in the house seats today as I've not caught up with you in such a long time. What advice would you give to a performing arts student wanting to achieve and enter into the business? Have a plan B 
And my main thing would be know your material, like back to front, upside down and inside out. The most embarrassing moments of, in my life, in my audition moments and everything, has been when I've not been fully on it. The, the muscle memory has to be there when your brain blacks out because it will. You know, you'll get in that room sometimes. And sometimes it's cool and you look cool as a cucumber. But sometimes you get in that room and it's like blank. So you have to have another backup. And that's your muscle memory. I understand that you have two loves in your life, Leo and Molly. Oh, yes. My beautiful cats. Uh, Molly was our first purchase. We didn't purchase her. We got her from a rescue and she's, uh, she doesn't like being hugged, but she's very good at catching mice. She's like the predator of the family. Then came Leo. Leo was posted on the side of a post box saying, kittens for sale, please help, blah, blah, blah. And we went to see him and my husband said, well, we can't really get another cat. And we'll just, I said, oh, I just want to go and see them. Please let, oh, all right, we'll just go and see them. So we drove down the road, they opened the door and Joe turned to me and said, so which one do you want? <laughs> <laughs> Didn't even think twice. They were so adorable. And he's a gorgeous, like tabby, just basically a prostitute. He just wants to be hugged 24-7. But he's not like crazy. He's not like in your face. He's, he's got a very clear character, but he's just adorable. I love him. Going back to when you worked on both Copacabana and Taboo, you recorded the cast albums. And looking at your credits, that's not where it stops, as you also recorded Holiday on Ice, State of Disrepair, Half a Sixpence, and Saturday Night Fever. Although the recording that I'm interested in is working with Danny Elfman on the 20th century Fox film Sleepy Hollow with Johnny Depp. What was that like? Just for the record, I wasn't on the Taboo album. I was on the Taboo uh, DVD when they did a live DVD performance uh, and they filmed it. It was pretty cool. Sleepy Hollow with Danny Elfman was, I think I went grey that day because it was quite something. You know, I did a lot of session singing at some point during my career and I really loved it. But, you know, there's people who will always be better than you at, at sight reading and just the, the super talented people out there. I, I, I just, I, I, I bow down to them. But this day was like a, a volume of music like this, which is kind of always like that. Like Harry Potter's like that. Star Wars is like that. But for me, it was like the first big one, a big two inch wide vocal score. And you turn the page and they're literally they're recording as you're and then you turn the page and you record the next page and you don't hear it beforehand. It's just and go. And it was quite a revelation for me. It was very exciting. And he's, he's like, who's, who's doing the B-flat? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what B-flat is. <laughs> <laughs> but it was cool because I had to do a, like a separate solo bit for Miranda Richardson, like the witchy bit, ah, all that kind of stuff. And that was really cool to do, but slash terrifying. Some jobs just are terrifying. Yeah. And you, you, you deal with it and you have a great time. But actually, at the core of them, they're pretty like, you're out there, you're vulnerable. Yeah. But uh, that was, yeah, that was 
great day. Loved it. In 1996, you went to Canada and you were offered lead vocalist in the superb production of Sultan Banco for Cirque du Soleil. This must have been such an amazing honour as this production was incredible and a great focal point for a female lead. How was it working for them? I loved it. I loved every single minute. I was cast at the Albert Hall, actually. I saw the show and went backstage to meet my friend. And that day, that night, the singer had had resigned. And (laughs) he was walking in with the resignation letter. And I was like, oh, I'll I'll do it. (laughs) Can I audition? He's like, yeah, if you want. And not the next day, the day after I'd learned two songs, I went back for, and they have a sound check every day. I sang during the sound check and they filmed it. And then my friend said, uh, look, just come back in a couple of days. We've got somebody's visiting. So I went back and another day, two days later and sang with the band again. And the someone visiting was uh, Guy Le Liberty, the, the owner of the company. And he walked on the stage and he said, oh, that was great. You want to tour with us? I was like, oh, yeah, (laughs) shook his hand. And then next week I was in the show. It was literally like that. It was fantastic. Very organic synchronicity moment happening. Yeah. And working for them was a dream. They only had four shows at the time. So it was early days and it was just, I felt like I was going to an alien world. It was just magnificent for me. It blew my mind. And the makeup and costumes and everything are just so beautiful and working with such talented artists too. Yeah, it was it was very groundbreaking at the time and I just drank it up. I thought it, it just fed my soul completely. In 2007, you returned to Cirque du Soleil again, also again in Sultan Banco to reprise your role. Now, I always knew you were the talented Nicola Dawn, but you met and married Mr. Brooke. How did you meet and what does he do? What does he do as a job? Well, I am Mr. Brooke. I'm Nicola Dawn Brooke. It's a funny story. My, my husband's called Jonathan Piet. And he's from Quebec. And in Quebec, the wife in the marriage keeps her maiden name. So I am married to a Mr. Piet, but I keep I have to keep my maiden name. It's, it's just in Quebec. Don't even ask. I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> <laughs> so my my dad was very confused. <laughs> he's like, it's very strange. It's like you've married me. Doesn't talk like that. He was very confused. I have to say, I actually lived in Toronto. Oh, Um, did you? I did, yes. I I lived in Century Plaza, the penthouse of Century Plaza, on Wellesley West between Bay and Young Street. Oh, yeah. And watched the whole time that they were building the Princess Diana Theatre. Wow. And I remember I was working down, because you've worked at the Alexandra, haven't you? Because I was down at Pantages at the time, which is now the Ed Mervish. And it it was funny because I used to literally, because I'm a shopaholic, and I literally used to go into... It's right next to the Eaton (laughs) Centre. In the Eaton Centre. And I remember in the Eaton Centre, they said, come in, come in, it's fantastic. We're having an anniversary. (laughs) And they said, I said, "What, what is this all about? They said, it's our 20, 125th year anniversary. 
And I said, my mum's house in England is older than that. What's it about? What's going on? Oh, I bet they love that. I know. Get out. They they gave me a balloon. (laughs) Staying with theatre for a moment and Cirque, you've been working in their resident show called Joya in Mexico. Was this in yeah, a similar yeah. working experience for you, as every production is so different in theme and content? Again, totally different. It was a beautiful, th- it, it is a beautiful theatre. I think it's the only Cirque show still running in the world. Oh, no, there's one in China as well, I think. Well, God, I hope I'm saying the right places. I think they've closed just for this week. They had a bit of a, a, bit of a moment so they, you know, with the whole COVID thing, but they're really watching the protocol very, very closely. So it's very flexible. But the show's beautiful. It, it's in a theatre that's been made in the jungle, surrounded by a moat of water. And the roof of the theatre is covered in like straw. It looks like a tiki kind of like hut. And inside it, the designer based it on, I don't know whether you remember the computer program mists it's like a role play game where it's all stained glass windows and books and libraries and very dark and mystical and inside the theater there's another layer where it's all the way around the back of the theater is a live old library very a steampunk style with spiral staircases and stained glass windows. oh my goodness it's just beautiful yeah, my role was very different to Southern Mango and new music. It's just, it was great. And a separate section at the beginning of the show with a band called Arpasan, very sort of Cuban style, just a trio, three guys, old guys like playing beautiful music, like the Buena Vista Club almost. It just, mm. And then it turns into the show organically. Oh, it's just beautiful. Fantastic. Stunning. Yeah, I do love a bit of Cirque du Soleil, that's for sure. Let's hope it really, really comes back and gets its footing again. You've recently played the role of Trish in Kinky Boots, a musical at the Royal Alexandra Theatre in Toronto. How did you find that part in getting a Northampton accent up and running? I really enjoyed doing Kinky Boots. It was, we were the second production in the world. So we had the whole Broadway team come over. I think they just set up uh, some shows in Korea, but it was slightly different. They had like a different show, a different lead every night. So it was a bit different. We had dialect coaches and all of the company was Canadian Apart from the guy playing Lola and myself, I'm a Canadian citizen now, actually. You are, cool. yeah. But yeah, it was it was good. They were very precise about the dialect. If anything, my British accent hindered me in a way because they had a, a kind of stylized accent that they created for Broadway, which was a little bit Cockney, a little bit Northern, a little bit this, a little bit that. And I was like, whoa! It was a bit difficult to grasp, but, uh, you know, I did my best and everybody was on the same page. It's a great um, show. Very lovely show. Oh, God, I loved it. Such high energy and the boots were amazing. And I loved being a bitch. I loved being a bitch. 
Now, even though <laughs> theatres are currently closed, is there anything on the cards for you that is in the pipeline or can't you say? On the day that COVID hit, I was about to go off and play Mrs. Wilkinson in Billy Elliot. And that is still on the burner. That's still, uh, it's just delayed. It's not cancelled. So that's pretty cool. And these cabarets are still going along. I'm doing a lot of writing. But apart from that, it's all, you know, it's all a little bit vague, isn't it? I've had a few virtual auditions, done a bit of a voiceover moment, bit of video games kind of stuff. So just trying to be creative with not letting go of my career, you know, basically, I don't want to have to let go of what I've trained and worked for all my life. And any way I can do that, I will try. People are so grateful when they hear live music again. It's really been lovely to see people's reactions generally because it's like, yes, people miss us. There is still room for us. And I wanted at some point there to be some kind of like ban on Netflix and that like so people could appreciate that this is us, that you're watching us and we're, we don't have a career right now. You know, it's difficult. I know, I understand it's difficult for a government to justify supporting the arts sometimes. But when you look at what we bring to the society as a whole, that's very, very important. And it shouldn't be underestimated, I think. You know, we talk about government, but let's face it, at least you've got Justin Trudeau to look at. We've got Boris Johnson. So, hey, I mean, (laughs) at least you've got eye candy in your corner. (laughs) Anyway, I'm sure whatever role you go into next, I am sure that you will be working for many years yet to come. What an amazing journey that you've had within the industry. And it has been an absolute pleasure to chat with you today and learn about your career along with my listeners. Great to chat with you today, Nicola. And thank you so much for being in the house seats. Great to chat with you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Well, unfortunately, that's it for this week. However, don't forget to tune in every Sunday for my next guest in the house seats. Chat soon. This broadcast can be heard on my website at www.craigbartley.com or tune in on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher Worldwide and Google Podcasts by looking up In the House Seats with Craig Bartley.